Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Toward Wholeness podcast, where our hope is to offer you steps that you can take toward wholeness in both spirit, soul, and body. I've been away uh, for a little while on sabbatical and teaching in Europe, and so it's a joy to be back with you. And in this return and new season, uh, I'm thrilled to uh, share our first guest with you, uh, Nick Sweeney. And Nick has a really uh, meaningful and powerful story to tell for this particular moment. All the eyes in the world are on Ukraine. You know, I just returned from teaching in Austria and in Sweden, and I can tell you that everywhere I go, uh, the issue of Ukraine was front and center. Some of the guests uh, where I spoke in Austria were from Germany. I remember a long conversation with a German doctor who, just before coming to this conference, was already seeing Ukrainian refugees in her uh, clinic as she lives in northern Germany, right on the Polish border. Uh, In Romania, there were guests from Romania who are now uh, uh, wondering what the future is for Romania as well, as these uh, previously Eastern Bloc countries are on a sense of heightened alert. And then I was teaching in Sweden, and the talk in Sweden was about Sweden's reconsideration of joining NATO Uh, So wherever we go in Europe, it's a big deal, and it's a big deal in the United States. And our guest this morning, uh, just recently out of Ukraine, because he has been uh, the director of Kyiv Christian Academy in Ukraine. And so I'm happy to have Nick Sweeney with us this morning. He served as a school administrator in Washington, California, and now has been in Ukraine. And so he's been in school administration for 35 years and began full-time ministry in Kiev just last year. And so he's not been there a long time. Uh, and uh, he has some, I think, firsthand insights, of course, to share with us today. So, Nick, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us uh, this morning. Thank you very much. It's a, a pleasure to be here, and uh, it's a pleasure to get a chance to share some of the things that have been happening to us over the, the past uh, month or so. Well, so, Nick, I, you know, what I'd love to have people hear from you at the outset is just your experience uh, from, I don't know, say six to eight weeks ago when, you know, you're teaching and troops are amassing and you're watching this dark cloud enfold the nation to uh, the beginning of the war, to your exit, uh, to your assessment of current conditions. So we'll just uh, we'll take a good long listen from a boots on the ground report. So go ahead and uh, share how that unfolded for you and uh, what you think that this means for this moment in history. Well, one of the things that uh, we were not taught in our administrative training was how to deal with this kind of uh, conflict. We have, uh, this is unprecedented for me and certainly a lot of the other uh, colleagues that we have are dealing with something uh, we've not seen before. As we have gotten more into this, we did not realize how bad it was. We are watching how bad it is now. I'll walk you through the steps that uh, we went through to uh, get to where we were. Uh, Six weeks ago, we uh, started following the stories that were coming to us about Russian troop movements moving into Belarus. The Americans and the other expats who were working in the country uh, were getting a little nervous Uh, But our Ukrainian friends were much more calm, and that seems to be the norm. The Ukrainians seem to be very calm when it comes to Russian movement. 
as uh, time went on, uh, moving towards the middle of uh, February, we uh, started getting uh, inputs from different places that caused us uh, a little bit of concern. Some of the embassies were sending out warnings. We received warnings ourselves from the U.S. Embassy uh, about uh, our situation, and we were advised to leave. Uh, the uh, warnings that came out of the U.S. government uh, were fairly clear. Uh, do not travel to Ukraine. We're getting a little bit nervous, uh, but the troop numbers uh, started to grow, and then uh, uh, Belarus was involved with it as well. And so now on the northern border, on the eastern border, on the southern border, uh, somewhat on the uh, western border uh, in uh, Moldova, uh, we knew that there were Russian troops everywhere. And uh, if there was going to be an invasion, it would be uh, a very significant one. And that's what we were thinking. And a lot of Americans were panicking. And uh, a lot of mission groups were also panicking. Uh, what we started seeing was uh, uh, large groups like uh, IMB pulled out all their missionaries from Ukraine and uh, had them move to another country. Hmm. That had an effect on our school simply because we had a number of students in our school from IMB, and that uh, was a little bit of a challenge. And so um, we found other mission groups were also uh, looking to uh, make adjustments and changes as well. Uh, the Ukrainians were standing fast, though, saying, no, they're not going to do anything. Uh, but um, they were the calmness in the storm. Hmm. Uh but uh, very few of us, uh, either Russian or Ukrainian, uh, uh, or Ukrainian or American, uh, were confident uh, that we could trust the Russians, um, and that proved to be uh, true. Uh, anyway, with this uh, big troop movement, um, we started looking for signs uh, and indications of uh, what kinds of things we should do. Um, most of the people I was with, and certainly all of the Ukrainians, were saying, we're not moving, we're staying right where we are, and uh, they're just bullies and we'll, we'll survive. So, But when we started seeing some of the embassies uh, moving, uh, the U.S. Embassy relocated from Kiev to Lviv, which is in the far west of the country, right. which was far uh, safer. But uh, we... Uh, we're looking for little bits of signs when the Israeli embassy closed. And uh, frankly, the Israeli embassy is kind of a, 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 a sign because I don't think they would close for anything. But uh, they did. They closed and left. And uh, we started getting a little bit concerned. Uh, and so we began making preparations for a, a full school evacuation. Uh, and we, we were losing some people anyway. Uh, some of the, the folks had uh, started leaving. Uh, by the time we were uh, implementing our, our evacuation, we had lost about um, a quarter of our students and personnel. Mm -hmm. But we were still operating, and uh, we, had op we opted to go online from that point forward, uh, determined that the uh, the evacuation was the thing to do, and now it's uh, moving towards uh, about the 18th, I think, of uh, February. And uh, by then, we were able to get all of our people uh, moved out, um, uh, except for our Ukrainian friends. Many of them were able to move to different areas, and we tried to facilitate helping them move. That was part of the uh, project that we had, was to uh, move them out to safer places, 
But some of the Ukrainians um, were saying, this is our place, we're staying, and hmm. not knowing what the Russians were planning. Uh, but um, it, was, it, was, it was a bit of a challenge for them. They just didn't want to move, or they couldn't move because they had family members and they were trying to protect them. But uh, we uh, provided some resources to try to uh, get people to move, help them as they went through their, this process, and um, uh, were largely successful. And, uh, to, uh, this, and this is an ongoing project that we're dealing with today is uh, continuing to help people to move around uh, away from the uh, trouble. Mm. But uh, by the uh, uh, third week of uh, February, we had uh, closed our campus and uh, moved away from the building to various areas. And we had people all over Europe. Uh, Poland was exceptionally good in accepting a large number of people. Uh, we had some uh, great help from a school in uh, Budapest. Uh, we had to sent uh, individuals to Romania, to um, Bulgaria, uh, Austria. We'd sent them all over the place. Some of our, our families uh, relocated back to their home countries, uh, uh, Philippines, Korea, hmm. uh, and uh, the United States. We were able to get most of our folks uh, uh, out. I was uh, with uh, two, we had two large groups that were exiting, trying to exit the country, or we moved to safe, what we thought was safe places. One was by the Polish border up north with one of our caravans. The second one was down south by the uh, Romanian border. Hmm. And we were trying to, uh, uh, prepared to get out if there were attacks that came close to us. Unfortunately for me, uh, my situation was a little bit different because um, as we were at the Romanian border, I got word that my sister died. Uh, oh, wow. and, uh, and so that was a, a surprise for us. And uh, my intention was to stay there until uh, we had everybody out of the country. But um, I had uh, a lot of people who were saying, you need to go home, you need to go home. And mm -hmm. so... I determined that I would go home, but I wasn't going to take any of the people that I evacuated with. So I got on a train that was still running into Kiev. Uh, and it was uh, an all-night train. I got there, and one of my employees uh, that was still in the area picked me up at the train station. I, it took me over to uh, the uh, school, and uh, I had about 30 minutes to pack. And then I got word via email that the uh, flight I had scheduled from uh, Kiev Borispol uh, uh, Airport had been canceled. The uh, flights from Western Europe were now being uh, uh, shut off altogether. Mm. So um, uh, we were going to have to be creative on how we got out. Uh, although for some reason I remembered uh, Air Ukraine, which would not be my first choice of airlines to fly. Uh, <laughs> They had some partnerships with them, and I had tried to buy a ticket through um, Air France from Kiev to uh, uh, Paris, but they wouldn't sell it to me. But I talked to the folks at Air Ukraine because they also had a flight, and it was a partnership. But Air, Air France wouldn't sell me a ticket, but Air Ukraine would. So I was able to buy the ticket from them, and I got on the plane, and... Once it took off, I said, praise God for that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was able to uh, get out of the country. And then two days later, the airport was bombed. So oh, wow. Wow. 
it was, uh, you know, all things work together for the good for those who love the Lord. And my, losing my sister was uh, terrible. Uh, but I, I know that I probably would not have moved unless I had that kind of event that had yeah. taken place to move me. Uh, I think the Lord has realized how stubborn I am. So, uh, yeah. but that is, uh, that was uh, an, an amazing thing. But since that uh, uh, time, my groups did proceed through uh, the border checks. Uh, the border check at Romania was unbelievable. Uh, our group went through and it took them over 60 hours mm. in their car, waiting in line to get through the border. Mm. Uh, now, the people all on the way on both sides of the border were exceptionally nice mm. to uh, our people. Uh, but um, the Romanians were exceptionally uh, good to our, our folks as well. And I, uh, the French had sent troops into uh, Romania, so they were on the border as well mm. uh, with uh, the uh, Romanians. Uh, the Americans had sent in troops on the borders of Hungary and Poland and uh, Slovakia, mm. and uh, they were all there assisting as well. Mm. Uh, our group uh, up north had a little more success going through the Polish border, but they were so good. The, by then, the uh, American embassy had moved from Lviv out of the country into Poland mm -hmm. so that um, uh, they could operate, and uh, they were right on the border and they were helping Americans as they came through. Actually, one of our teachers crossed over, didn't have a place to stay, and they let her stay in the embassy facility, which I thought was pretty good because they had so many they were dealing with. But uh, it was uh, it was amazing uh, how good uh, the people were in Poland and uh, in all of the countries. They really bent over backwards to, to help uh, uh, the people who were exiting out. Poland has been exceptionally good because uh, they've had almost 2 million refugees into yeah. their country. I mean, if you can imagine that many people coming into a country in a short period of time, it's it's amazing. But uh, they have done a great job and uh, have been a, a real blessing. So, so Nick, uh, a question I have that like a kind of a follow-up question, appreciating so much uh, the story of, it just feels like an exodus, right? It reminds me of the book of Exodus even and people leaving in the middle of the night and hurrying out. And most Americans don't have any kind of analogous experience, right? And so I'm thinking of Americans in particular listening to this and, and knowing that you work with children. Uh, my my follow-up question is, as children in your school are watching this cataclysmic world event unfold, how will that shape their faith? How is that shaping their faith? How, how until you were separated, uh, did your staff work to offer interpretation to students whose relatively safe world suddenly imploded? Because I think that's a question that many people are asking now, as we try and imagine analogous situations perhaps happening someday in our own lives. How, you know, what do you say to people when you move from safety to, oh, we could be bombed and there's a big evil enemy and the reality of war is now not across the sea, but at our doorstep. Like, how did you guys mobilize as a staff to, to minister to the students and what kind of questions were students thinking about uh, as this unfolded? Well, one thing to keep in mind is that when Ukraine gained their independence in 1991, 
uh, and the Russians withdrew. The withdrawal was not easy. They took a lot of things with them as they withdrew. Uh, so there was a little friction there. But uh, the Ukrainian design was uh, freedom. Uh, they were not going to be the same as uh, what had been uh, going on in Russia. And so uh, they had determined that they were going to be a little different. The thing that we learned is that the Russian uh, government, and it's clear now to uh, almost everybody, uh, that it is a, uh, a, a, there's a significant amount of corruption that's uh, taking place. So the Ukrainians, though, as a group of people, are actually kind of amazing because I think they've really realized that they wanted something different and they were willing to fight for it. And I think that there was a misunderstanding on the part of the Russians of who they were dealing with because they wanted to have that freedom to worship. They wanted to have that freedom to live as a, a, a free people. And I think what happened in, in that time from 91 uh, all the way up to today is that there was a bit more of a resiliency in the population, that's my assessment, uh, than we might see in like the United States. Mm -hmm. They were prepared for difficulty. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, living in the Soviet Union, for those people who lived in the, in the Soviet Union at the time, that was difficult enough. But then uh, to live in a semi-independent uh, country, as you had uh, Russia still bearing down on them for all that time, you had to have a different type of mental preparation just to live there. Mm. And I, th I think the missionaries uh, who came to minister uh, understood that as well, that uh, this was not like living in the United States where anybody could say or do whatever they want without any fear of uh, a problem. But in Ukraine, I think there was always a bit of an anxiousness about what might happen mm. uh, because of the location where they are. Mm -hmm. Every country that has bordered Russia has had some challenges in their history. Mm -hmm. And so this was, I, I would say, it was probably more the Americans who had to prepare, or the yep. expats in general, who had to prepare to live in an environment that was difficult. I think it was a little bit more natural for some uh, the Ukrainians to deal with the challenges where they are. But I honestly think that that helped them to some degree. Mm -hmm. uh, because one of the things that we witnessed in this whole conflict was a phenomenal courage mm -hmm. on the part of everybody in Ukraine. You know, what we think about what kind of events do we want to have for our children? And I, I was watching these uh, groups of high schoolers who would have parties would come together making Molotov cocktails. And I thought, okay, that is not kind of event I would say we would put on our agenda. But uh, it was so interesting. But it was a revelation that these folks have a, an intention as a people to prepare to uh, to deal with the problems they have. It, and it, it's kind of amazing. I went to the uh, uh, celebration of Independence Day on August twenty last August. It was absolutely amazing. The crowds that came out, all dressed in Ukrainian outfits, uh, 
where all uh, a little plane would fly over and they'd all cheer. Uh, you know, uh, any kind of military vehicle drove by, they'd all cheer. They were very proud of their country. Mm. And I think uh, you saw all families there that they were being taught this, that there is a pride that we have in our nation. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, I think in terms of uh, what we're doing to uh, help our students, is uh, support the initiatives of uh, what the Ukrainians are trying to do because they are knowing that they have challenges. Their children are maybe better prepared to deal with it than they might be otherwise. Uh, some of the problems that we worry about in our day-to-day -day, uh, lives here in America are absolutely foreign to the Ukrainians because they're dealing with real life problems right now. And uh, a, a good example of what the Ukrainians are like is in the city of Mariupol down south. Mm -hmm. It's being shelled into dust right now. And you've, you've probably noticed no one has even mentioned the idea of surrender. Uh, it's, it's just, it is absolutely amazing. I don't think the Russians had any idea what they were dealing with. No, their love, uh, the, as you point out, the Ukrainian love of freedom, and there's a, there's just some kind of a deep well of resolve and commitment and courage that is uh, is it's caught the world's attention. You know, mm -hmm. now as I as I as I ask a follow up question here, I kind of turn to like when we're watching on TV the people who have been you know, sheltering in basements for weeks, children dying of starvation, food shortages, water shortages, just the immense, immense suffering. The question that people both deep in and on the margins of faith sometimes ask is, you know, where is God in this? How come God doesn't just intervene and, and fix it? And as someone who's both been with the people who are people of faith in the midst of it, and uh, yourself in the midst of it. How do you answer that question when it comes your way? Because I'm sure it does come your way as well, as it does for me as a pastor. Well, I have actually um, uh, thought a little bit about this for two different reasons. The scriptures are pretty clear. We trust in the Lord with all our heart, and we don't rely on our own insight. We acknowledge God, and he will make our path straight. That is our, our confidence. That's what we trust. But I, I look back to the Old Testament, and I look at the story of Hezekiah and the challenges that he faced, huge challenges, overwhelming. There's no way that this could possibly come out in any way good uh, for Hezekiah. Yet he maintained the, his trust in the Lord, and he was looking to him for help. You know, it's interesting, the uh, Ukrainians have asked for help, but they haven't asked for people. They have plenty of people. They they are looking for some armaments to, to help, but they are they are tr they are trusting they will be able to uh, succeed. But this is a very God filled area. One of my uh, best friends is a priest in uh, the city of Bucha, Father Mikola, and he is a one of the most godly people I've ever met. And he is encouraging his people on a regular basis to be strong and uh, trust in the Lord. And I think that that is the uh, thing, the message we want to get across to all of our, our, mm. our parents and our students. We, we trust in the Lord because he is faithful and there's no question about it. 
we will go through times of uh, trial, but God never tests us beyond our own strength. Yes. He always gives us a way to escape so we'll be able to endure it. Hmm. So That's a good word. Yeah. Uh, you know, the last, the last question that I have for you, Nick, is uh, when we're uh, sitting over here 5,000 miles away from this very real uh, and global altering conflict, we're wondering what can we do? You know, how can, what steps can we take? How can we help? And so uh, how would you counsel those who are looking for ways to support the Ukrainian people and get involved? Uh, what's the, what are the best resources for that? Well, I think right now the humanitarian uh, needs are significant because of all the bombings the Russians have done. One group I've, I've uh, recommended in the past is the International Committee of the Red Cross uh, based out of uh, Switzerland, they've been uh, very good in trying to provide uh, materials uh, down to Ukraine. Now, they actually have a truck, uh, several trucks. They're trying to get into uh, Mariupol, mm. but they're being blocked by the Russians. Mm. That particular group, the International Committee of Red Cross, is probably one of the better ones. But there's, I mean, you just have to Google online. You'll see a bazillion of them. But you also, you, you, you need to be careful, um, of course. But uh, there are a lot of good, well-documented organizations uh, trying to help, and uh, and I, I think that that is a, that is a very good way to help them. The immediate direct relief is is important, but this is a little different situation than some difficulties. Uh, many people are calling this the worst uh, humanitarian crisis in the history of Ukraine, and you have to remember that Ukraine is a place that endured Chernobyl. Yeah. So uh, this yeah. is uh, kind of amazing. But I think one of the things that I've noticed uh, as I've gone through and I've been posting and uh, providing information, uh, we have a number of people in the country that seem to have a misunderstanding of the Russian government. I don't know where it comes from exactly, but there is nothing to indicate that we should trust a single word out of the Russian government. Almost every single thing they do uh, is untrue. They said, we're just doing uh, drills. We're not going to invade Ukraine. They literally said that uh, a number of times. And yet that is exactly what they did. Right. Uh, they claim to be a democracy with a, an elected government. But I think by now, most people realize it is not even close to a democracy. It is an absolute dictatorship. Mm -hmm. And uh, one man determines everything. There is no democratically elected uh, government. It is, uh, it is a corrupt tool that is hurting people in a significant way. And uh, I think it's important for all of uh, uh, Americans, at least, to understand this is not a difference of opinion with a government that has a different perspective. This is evil incarnate in the, the government of the uh, Russians that is really hurting people, killing brothers and sisters in Christ with no remorse at all. Well, you know, this is a I want to thank you for the conversation. The 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 big themes that are that are being elevated right now really on the global stage are this notion that there is really only one truth 
and then there's there's truth. There's there are lies masquerading as truth. That's the world yeah. we live in. We don't live yeah. in truth and lies. We live in truth and lies masquerading as truth. So there's competing yeah. narratives regarding what is true, and we see it played out every day in the media. And it's not just in in this conflict. It's within our own uh, media world and our own democracy. There's also a battle going on globally between freedom and democracy and totalitarianism and authoritarianism. And and both of those things, this truth lie thing and this freedom versus totalitarianism have been elevated right now on the global stage, front and center. Everything else is, is in the background. And if I'm grateful for anything that may come out of this, it would be an awakening to kind of a recommitment to, hey, I want to know what's really true, not what my favorite news channel says is true. Yeah. And, you know, freedom that is democracy is rooted, actually, in the notion that every individual is made in the image of God and worthy of, you know, protection and provision and dignity. My opinion is we as Americans need to wake up on both of those fronts because we're losing those freedoms and our own commitment to truth. And, and my hope and prayer is that this, um, this event elevates those two issues and that we can, we can kind of have our own awakening as a result. I would agree with that. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that that is a, a, a great assessment and that is a reasonable prayer for us. Yep. Well, Nick, thank you. And uh, you had alluded to you have some writings and you're posting some things. How could people uh, access more information if they want that? Uh, I'm happy to have people uh, take a look at the the things that we post on uh, Facebook. I've actually had to use my personal page so that I don't cause uh, any difficulties. Uh, I don't. Uh, my personal page uh, is uh, nicksweeney.58, and uh, people are welcome to to uh, look at that. And uh, I have a lot of uh, think postings from Ukrainians and uh, different folks, but uh, it is uh, it is a great way to uh, keep in contact. And uh, you might meet some Ukrainians there too. So, well, thank you very much, Nick. I appreciate your taking the time, and uh, you will be in my prayers, uh, along with the Ukrainian people in a new way because we've had this conversation. Well, thank you very much. And thanks everyone for listening. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, being together again the next time we join on the Toward Wholeness podcast. See you later.